This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council On Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC On Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org.nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Good evening and welcome to the DMEC Youth Radio Show. My name's Abby. And I'm Max. And we're back again with our monthly podcast where we talk about different health issues from a student perspective. I'm a third year dental student. I'm a third year medical student. And we just like to come on here and talk about different health issues and how they're related to the different ethnic groups we have here in New Zealand. So today we are going to be talking about traditional medicines. So we're going to be discussing Maori traditional medicine, uh, Chinese traditional medicine, and Samoan traditional medicine. So just a quick disclaimer before we start, neither myself or Abby are experts at all in any of these traditional medicines. And so while we have done our research, we definitely are going to be open to any sort of criticism or, or replies from anyone who has a bit more knowledge on the subject. Yeah, and also we're not advocating any of these medicines. Some of them are, you know, backed up by modern day scientific research and a few of them aren't. So make sure you consult with your GP or another doctor before you try any of this at home. Okay, cool. So let's get started then with Māori traditional medicine. This is called Rongoa Māori and this is where ailments are treated in a very holistic manner. So this combines plant use, massage and karakia and has been passed on through many generations. And the focus of traditional Māori healing is on spiritual healing, the power of karakia, which is a type of blessing, um, the mana of the tohunga, which is the expert who performs these rituals, and the use of herbs. So it's quite different to the medical system that we know today. Yeah, so... Traditionally, knowledge of Rongoa Māori has been considered tapu, which we talked about on a previous podcast, which, which means very sacred, and was passed on to a very select few. So a, a person would be selected for training by the tohunga pu, which is the expert. And this person is selected from the whare wananga, which is the house of learning, which is probably parallel to our university we know today. Yeah, so what we have to think about as well is that traditionally uh, Māori would face a lot of different diseases than nowadays. So before European contact, you would sort of see different forms of leprosy and tuberculosis as the main contagious diseases. So Māori didn't have any inbuilt immunity to diseases like influenza, measles and fevers that the Europeans would have brought uh, later on. Mm, because they never were exposed to these things before European settlement. Yeah, so some examples of what these uh, treatments might be in traditional Māori healing would be herbal treatments for respiratory ailments, such as, you know, asthma, bronchitis, and different sorts of coughs, uh, different herbal treatments for stomach, bowel, and urinary tract problems, 
menstrual and birthing difficulties, and at least one form of tuberculosis. So those were the internal herbal treatments, and they also used external herbal treatments for things like fractures and wounds to prevent infection and to help healing, for boils, burns, eczema, leprosy, ringworm, and warts. So a pretty broad list there of different things that you can treat with herbs. Yeah, and there's some really interesting research going on about using these different herbs for these different diseases and trying to put them through the scientific method to see if we can use them and what sort of compounds are being effective here. So maybe we can make new drugs and new medicines for our Western science. So for an example, the Kawakawa has has relatives that are used medicinally in other countries of the South Pacific and has been the focus of a lot of scientific research. So the kawakawa is one plant which was used, but another one is manuka, which is abundant throughout New Zealand, from low areas to subalpine areas. And this is interesting because Captain Cook used this plant to make tea, because he liked the bitter taste apparently, which leads to its other common name, tea tree, which people are probably quite familiar with, tea tree oil and other tea tree products. So an infusion of the bark is used both externally and internally in Māori traditional medicine as a sedative, and it could also be used on the skin for scalds and burns. And it's not just the bark, um, the ash made from the bark could also be used and rubbed onto the skin to treat skin diseases. And the vapour from the leaves boiled in water was used to treat colds. And that's not it, there's more. The inner bark was boiled and the liquid was used as a mouthwash. So it was a very versatile um, tree to use as treatment. Yeah, and not just the tea tree, there's also the koromiko, which is widespread all throughout New Zealand, and an infusion of these leaves was used as an astringent for for dysentery. So when you get dysentery, it can beef up those mucous membranes, and hopefully you don't uh, have a very bad time of it. Also, poultices from this plant were used for ulcers. It was also considered to be good for the kidneys and the bladder, as well as for diarrhea and as a tonic. So it seems like a bit of a, a bit of a cure-all. Now, although these plants do sound great and like they have heaps of awesome health benefits and they are widely available in New Zealand, we can't recommend that you use these yourself at home because even in traditional medicine, the tohunga was very knowledgeable in applying these medicines correctly. So it's not something you can do yourself without education. Now, there is actually some confusion around traditional Māori healing because like the language was purely spoken, so was the rongoa. It wasn't written down, it was just passed from person to person. So a lot of the information is probably missing. Um, And what we do know is from the writings of early settlers and missionaries who either discussed with the Māori or just simply observed what they were doing when they were using these traditional plants. Yeah, and this was made even more complicated because different iwi or tribes can have different names for the same plants or the same name can be used for different plants. 
So this can lead to quite a bit of confusion with, uh, with the wrong plant being applied for the wrong thing. Yeah, for example, manaka can also be called kahikatoa, which could be confused with kahikatea, which sounds similar but is actually a very different tree and should not be used for the same things that manaka or kahikatoa is used for. So that's our brief introduction to Māori traditional medicine. Let's now move on to Chinese traditional medicine, which is very popular in New Zealand. Uh, in America, one in five adults will will use it. So there's lots to know about and lots to discuss. So traditional Chinese medicine has evolved for thousands of years with practitioners using various psychological and or physical approaches. So this could be, you know, acupuncture and tai chi, among many other things that we will be discussing, as well as herbal products to to address various different health issues. So when we talk about the effectiveness of Chinese traditional medicine, um, there's a lot of research behind the psychological and physical approaches, such as tai chi and acupuncture. These can help improve quality of life and they can help with certain pain conditions like chronic pain. And then when we talk about the use of herbal products, it's a bit of a mixed bag with some studies showing positive results and some studies showing negative results. So we're not really too sure about the use of Chinese herbs. Yeah, so if you do have any sort of questions, probably consult your local GP or Chinese medical specialist. Uh, and not us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one really popular uh, way of treatment in Chinese traditional medicine is acupuncture. You've probably heard of it. it You've probably had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really popular, and it's a technique in which practitioners will stimulate specific points on the body, usually by inserting these really thin needles through the skin. So some studies have shown that acupuncture stimulates the release of natural painkillers and can affect areas in the brain involved in processing pain. However, there have been some trials suggesting that real and sham acupuncture are are equally effective, maybe indicating a placebo effect, but it's not really clear. But other studies have shown that Real acupuncture may help ease types of pain that are often chronic. I'm talking about, you know, low back pain, neck pain, osteoarthritis or knee pain, and carpal tunnel syndrome. It can also help reduce the frequency of tension headaches and help prevent migraine headaches. So it seems that overall, it can be quite effective to help pain and, and headaches. But if you have other problems, it may not be that useful to get acupuncture for them. So another big thing in Chinese traditional medicine that we mentioned before is Tai Chi. And Tai Chi combines different postures, very gentle, slow movements, mental focus like meditation, breathing and relaxation all in one kind of exercise to help really holistically treat a problem. And research finds that practicing Tai Chi may improve balance and stability in older people and also those with Parkinson's disease. Um, It can also reduce pain from knee osteoarthritis. It can help people cope with fibromyalgia and back pain. 
and it just generally promotes quality of life and improves the mood of people in general and also those with heart failure apparently yeah so it seems very effective actually and this is probably the one thing on this list which most of you can try at home it's quite similar to you know doing yoga or other simple exercises like that this is something safe which if you want to have a go at you should be good to go yeah and now on to something that you can't really try at home the chinese herbal products so these have been studied for many medical problems over many hundreds of years and some of these problems include you know stroke heart disease mental disorders respiratory diseases you know like bronchitis and the common cold uh one issue that, that we've had in more recent times to try and do medical studies around these is that these studies have been often of poor quality and no firm conclusions can be made about their effectiveness so it's sort of hard to say how effective these herbs are from a western science point of view uh but there is quite a lot to say on the safety of traditional Chinese medicine and their Chinese herbs. So some herbal products have been found to be contaminated with undeclared plant or animal material, drugs such as blood thinners or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, heavy metals, pesticides or incorrect herbs which may cause organ damage. So you really want to be sure that your Chinese herbal products aren't contaminated, they are what you're ordering and you're not going to get any sort of strange things inside them. So take care on where you get these herbal products and make sure that you can trust your Chinese healthcare provider. And now talking about the safety of acupuncture, there's few complications that have been reported from acupuncture. It's generally pretty harmless, but you are sticking a very small needle into the skin. So if this isn't sterile, then you might get an infection or things like that. So make sure you're going to a reputable acupuncture specialist um, and make sure they know where they're sticking the needles because if you put it in the wrong place, obviously you can do some damage. So other than an infection, you might get a punctured organ, a collapsed lung, or any kind of injury to your nerves is generally not great. But again, this is pretty rare and I'm sure most acupuncture specialists know where to put them you would definitely hope so <laughs> and talking about tai chi there's very few um adverse effects which can come from that you might have a few aches and pains if you're you know not very flexible or don't get out much but it's pretty good and so is qigong which is a similar practice which is also used in chinese traditional medicine okay so that was chinese traditional medicine just a brief overview of that Let's now move on to Samoan traditional healing. So there is quite a lot to it, and I'm definitely no expert. So this is a very broad overview, and if there's some parts that aren't right, please do your own research and get some more knowledge about it. So there are several different types of traditional healers in the Samoan society. Uh, one is the Tolasia which deal with psychological ailments. Uh, another includes the Fofo, which is the massage healer, Fofo Gao, the bone setter, and the Falato Saga, which is the midwife. 
So one of the oldest of these is the Tulasia, which are traditional healers who deal with psychological ailments. Um, and their key role is to establish both physical and mental harmony in their patients. So this is similar to Maori traditional medicine, where it's very holistically focused, which is something we see a lot of in traditional medicine, but not so much in Western medicine. I'm not sure why that practice kind of dropped away, but I think it, it sounds awesome. A lot more focus on mental health and physical health and how the two are intertwined. Yeah, it, def- it definitely seems really effective and it is making a comeback in Western medicine with more focus placed on spiritual health and mental health and how that can intertwine and interweave with your physical health as just one component of the whole, which is what we mean when we talk about a holistic approach to medicine. So prior to the arrival of Christianity in Samoa, the priests and priestesses used to communicate with the ancient deities and ancestors, and they healed both social and physical disease through advice from these deities and ancestors and the ministrations they provided. And something pretty cool I learned about when we were researching this podcast is that Samoa believe in something called ghost sickness, which is a state of possession called Aitu, which is where they believe you become possessed by a spirit or an ancestor when you violate some kind of social convention. So I guess it would be similar in Māori tradition when you go against tikanga Māori, which is the proper way of doing things. In Samoa, if you go against the social convention, you become possessed and become ill, basically. Yeah, so this is the the responsibility of the tolasia, to heal those psychological ailments and to bring back into harmony your physical and mental selves to get that holistic healing. And this holistic approach can utilise a wide variety of different things. So this includes medicinal herbs, some therapeutic massage, uh, and different techniques such as hypnosis, visualization, suggestion and expectation, and all with a belief that healing takes place best in a state of relaxation. Which I would agree with, to be honest. I think that we should definitely bring some of this stuff back. Imagine if you could, you know, take 10 minutes to just meditate maybe in hospital before a surgery or something, and instead of just being given anti-anxiety medication, you know, taking time to sort your thoughts out yourself could be interesting. So that about wraps up everything we know about Samoan traditional medicine. Which sadly isn't a lot, but it's definitely a really interesting uh, source of study. So I would definitely encourage anyone who is interested to jump on the internet and have a look, talk to people who know more about it. And this goes for all of these traditional areas, medicine from Māori, Chinese, Samoan, and, and any other ones. It's really interesting, and there's really not much known about it, except for people who have that sort of expert knowledge. Hmm. And now that we've, you know, kind of explained about traditional medicine, we wanted to take the next five minutes to talk about something that we find quite interesting hopefully you will too we kind of touched on it 
a little bit earlier when we talked about how when the Europeans came, they brought with them a lot of illnesses which were quite devastating to the Māori because they had no inbuilt immunity. And we wanted to talk a bit more about that because you see the same thing has happened all across the world. The same in America. The um, indigenous population there was also very devastated with European arrival. And it's quite interesting to talk about why that happened and why wasn't it round the other way? Why didn't the Europeans get absolutely wiped out by some Māori sicknesses or some Native American sicknesses, which they weren't immune to? So we'll just talk about that for a while. Yeah, so one of the reasons why the Europeans didn't get sick for, pretty often from these diseases is, is because they had been around for hundreds, thousands of years in Europe. So they would have inherited some resistance as well as have been inoculated against it from a very young age where those diseases are just all over the place. Mm, it's the same thing with immunization. As a baby, you probably were immunized with the MMR vaccine, which means you're immune to measles. Well, all these Europeans probably had measles at some point, so they're now immune to it. Yeah, and Māori, who didn't have these diseases going around, wouldn't have been exposed to it, and they wouldn't have any sort of inbuilt immunity. So when they first got got introduced to it, their body would have absolutely no defense against it. So due to this lack of inbuilt immunity, when these diseases were first introduced by European settlers, they would wipe out thousands. So whilst a lot of Māori did die because of these illnesses the Europeans brought, Luckily, some of the worst ones actually never made it here, like yellow fever, cholera, malaria, and typhus. And smallpox and plague did come to New Zealand, but only very small um, case numbers, and they were very quickly contained when they were identified. So that didn't cause too much devastation. Mm, many did come, though, and and we're talking about pretty serious diseases like measles, influenza, typhoid, fever, dysentery, and, and tuberculosis. Uh, there are also uh, many STIs, such as gonorrhea and syphilis, that were first introduced during, uh, Cap during Captain Cook's voyages. Uh, these, unfortunately, had quite a poor effect on birth weights and, and sterility and stillbirths throughout Aotearoa. And when these epidemics arrived and affected the Māori, they coined the phrase tokotokorangi, which means spear from heaven. So it was such a calamitous kind of just epidemic of disease and people dying that, yeah, it was like a spear from heaven. If you want to get a sort of idea of the scale of the impact of this disease... Uh, from a population of 100,000 in 1769, the Māori population had declined by about 10 to 30% by 1840. This is mostly due to these introduced diseases and the effects of the musket wars, as well as, you know, the dislocation of lands that were important for agriculture. So just to put it in perspective, that's nearly one in three Māori that died due to these diseases. And like we said before, the worst ones didn't even make it here. It's crazy. Yeah, and we can be quite thankful that it wasn't higher. 
uh, because there were some factors that limited the spread of these of these diseases. So Māori had quite small, low density, dispersed pop- populations. So any uh, big leap in, in infection rates tended to be quite localized, and only certain iwi or tribes had close contact with Europeans, with many only having quite peripheral contact. So it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, and a lot of people wonder why the Europeans brought all these diseases to the new world and why it wasn't the other way around. And that's a big part of it right there, is that Māori and Native Americans and other similar populations lived in very low density. They were tribal and they were nomadic, so they moved around different places, whereas Europeans lived in high populous areas with everyone being close together. So anytime someone got a cold, it was spread through everyone. So these diseases were just running rampant. So they were all basically immune. Yeah, and what's quite interesting in how these diseases are first sort of created and that we've seen quite clearly with COVID that they tend to jump from animal to human. And this is much more common when you're living beside animals, when your population's really dense and close together, like in a very large, dense city. And this was really common in Europe. You would be living right beside your cattle, your sheep and chickens, and then you'd be in really close proximity with fecal matter just all around the city. And it was just a breeding ground for new and different diseases to just spring up. So this is why there were heaps of new diseases in Europe, so that they could spread it around. But back in Aotearoa, uh, there weren't any big cities. Uh, Māori weren't living beside heaps of livestock, and so they didn't really get the chance to have any new big diseases jump from animal to human like that. Yeah, so basically, if you live all together with heaps of contact with germs it's really disgusting but you probably will gain a lot more immunity than someone who's living far apart and in a nice clean environment as long as you don't die first yeah (laughs) except for that yeah so that's about all we have time for today um i hope you enjoyed and learned something new it's really cool to revisit these old cultural learnings and we'll be back again in a month's time Thanks for listening. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council on Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC on Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org.nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.